It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free top of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 837 of Locked On Raptors for Wednesday, December the 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. The show is at Locked On Raptors and available on all of your favorite podcast providers. Please, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, telling a friend, all that good stuff is very much appreciated when it comes to my podcast, as well as all the other Locked On Podcast Network shows. Of course, there's Locked On Blue Jays and Locked On Leafs covering your favorite Toronto teams and uh, local shows covering all the teams in the Big Four sports. So go and listen. All right. On today's show, it is, as promised, part two of our look at some Raptors lineups we are excited to get a look at this season in the 2021, uh, 2020, 2020. I mean, that's going to get so goddamn tiring. The 2021 season is what it's being dubbed forever. And uh, anyway, that but let's get off of that sidetrack uh, brain worm malfunction I just had. And let's get to today's show as we look at some of those lineups and continue the conversation with three lineups chosen by... Our guest today, as he was yesterday, it is our pal Vivek Jacob, otherwise known as Big CBC. What's going on, buddy? Hey, <laughs> thank you for that intro. It's 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 good. I mean, this is a little bit delayed because we've been, well, at least I was waiting on Norm for what seemed like an eternity, but <laughs> we finally saw him and he's alive and well and in good spirits. He's just waiting on his uh, beloved dog's. Uh, he's trying to get a house situation situated in Tampa, and mm-hmm. right now the dogs are with his mom in San Diego. And his mom apparently used to hate pets, but love grew to love the dogs, and so he says it's going to be an interesting situation when he has to take them away from her. <laughs> hey, I, I cannot begrudge Norm's mom for falling head over heels for Apollo and Odin. Very good dogs, good Instagram dogs. Uh, everyone should follow Apollo and Odin on Twitter, uh, on Instagram. They're beautiful. Um, I, I, so you've been doing these. We'll get to the lineups in a, in a sec. I just kind of want to go back. There's been a few pressers so far from Bobby Webster yesterday, Nick Nurse today, then Norm Powell you mentioned. Uh, you just got off the, the horn with with the Zoom call. Uh, anything enormously interesting coming out? Of the last two days, for many of these pressers, I know there was the talk about Bobby's contract. Which there, there's still no update, and there won't be an update until there's one to give. Uh, is kind of the sounds of it. Obviously, you had Nick Nurse talking about Patrick McCaw again uh, in a glowing way, which uh, is troublesome for sure. 
<laughs> but it to be expected, I suppose. Uh, you had Norm talking about getting situated in Tampa. Anything of particular note to you, at least, in, in sort of how these guys have answered the questions on camera that is of particular interest to you after the first couple of days of pressers? Nothing too crazy. I mean, I think the only thing that maybe stood out a little was when Bobby was thanking Mark and Serge for their time in Toronto. He mm -hmm. did say that in a different world, they're both back. And hmm. that sort of led me to believe that not being in Toronto played a big factor, right? And yeah, uh, for Serge, we know how much he loves being here with Mark. You know, he moved his family. They got into schools here. Everything was set. And so I think in some ways it was sort of like, hey, if I'm going to get uprooted from all that, then maybe I'll think about going somewhere else and not have to deal with, again, the Raptors are dealing with a situation where they're creating a new home in Tampa. You go mm -hmm. to uh, the Lakers for Mark. Uh, he's dealing with, he knows what he's going to get in terms of the practice facility and all that type of stuff. So his brother being there as well. Exactly. So th I thought that was an interesting comment that kind of stuck out to me. And the beauty of it is we finally got to see uh, what it is to have the grass on the other side, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The grass being greener. And we always talk about, oh, people don't want to come to Toronto for this and this and that. And we saw how that narrative has kind of changed and how it played out and how not being in Toronto actually turned out to be a disadvantage with at least those two guys. The, the most Toronto possible way to have the realization and to, to reach the point where uh, people really want to play in Toronto and express their desire to be there, and it causes them to lose the players anyway because <laughs> they're not actually in Toronto. Yeah, I, I've kind of assumed... That was a big part of the calculus for Serge and Gasol as well. The Tampa thing, I mean, just spending a year out of a suitcase, especially when there was no second year. And I wrote about this uh, yesterday for HQ. I mean, if they were given multi-year offers, maybe they could justify to themselves, all right, you know, we're out of a suitcase for, you know, maybe as little as four months and we're back or, or you know, six months, whatever it might be. We play out the season and then we come back and everything's fine the following year. And it's okay and manageable, but if you're not getting that second year anyway, and you know this is your only year that you're going to get to spend with the team, barring some, you know, post-contract expiration re-upping on a small deal or whatever, um, you know, I, I think it is totally understandable. And it sucks, mm -hmm. it, you know, the, the pandemic sucks for many, many, many reasons that are more important than losing Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka. But holy shit, it sucks to lose Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol. And, uh, and you wrote about it. Tampa Bay for that for the rest of the time. Yeah, I wrote about it. Go uh, read it. I got good and sad. It was which, nicely uh, done. I find. Thanks, man. I, I find those are the best blogs was when you're in your feelings a little bit. So if people want to go check that out, they can. Uh, last question before we get to the lineups that we're talking about today for you. Has there been any word of what the housing situation is down there? Are they all living in like a commune? Are they taking up Derek Jeter's mansion that Tom Brady lived in for a little bit as he was being a weird COVID freak and spreading it around the Tampa area? Uh, are they getting their own separate houses, Airbnbs, hotels? What's the situation? Yeah, I think they're trying to get uh, a place for themselves. Right. But for now, I think they're all sort of in a hotel kind of figuring things out. 
Well, that's the expected answer, not the fun one. I was hoping for the open gym house. Uh, <laughs> the open gym house, yeah. That would be uh, really, really good stuff for our uh, our friends Jeff Landicho and, and pals creating that show. But mm. nonetheless, we, uh, you know, we're stuck with them being normal people living in Tampa Bay, which really sounds like not a thing I would want to do. And I hope everyone's holding up okay getting situated because it sounds like crap. Anyway, uh, we will in fact get to our breakdown of the three lineups that big v has brought to the table today uh, lineups that he's excited to take a look at in the upcoming nba season but first i want to tell everybody about built bar which look i've talked about built bar a lot on this podcast they're very loyal and friendly uh clients of ours and guess what i have no problem talking about them because they're delicious and you should get on board if you have not yet if you've heard me read these ads uh, a million times this is the time to listen because built bar is great they have six new flavors uh recently joining their original lineup of 12 flavors that if you can do math is 18 flavors for you to test out you can get little taster boxes you can get uh single flavor boxes it's uh it's a really really wonderful setup over there at builtbar.com some of the flavors that i recommend you try out include carrot cake apple almond crisp as well as the older flavors toffee almond a masterpiece of a snack you've got mint brownie and as i mentioned last week orange has moved up the rankings it tastes like a terry's chocolate orange but it's much much healthier for you and uh, available year round i guess can you still get terry's chocolate orange i don't know get a built bar orange instead bars are covered in 100 percent chocolate they're soft and easy to chew they're great for the health conscious person you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat and bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber and great for keto diets as well and right now, when you go to BuiltBar.com, you're going to get a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. So get on it right away. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and get 20% off of your next order. That is the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off and a free cooler at BuiltBar.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Big V. Let's uh, dive now into the lineups, uh, the exercise that we started yesterday, the three lineups that you are very excited to see the Raptors roll out this season. We will talk about the lineups, we'll talk about the construction, and then we'll dive into three questions answering, uh, will it be a top five lineup used by Nick Nurse? Will it be good? And will it play in crunch time? So, the Vec, Jacob, you have the, the ball in your hands now, I guess, and you... Uh, tell us about your first lineup that you want to see the Raptors, and let's talk about it. So the first lineup is the big one. I think it got us all excited towards the end of that Raptors-Celtics series. Uh, Lowry, Van Vliet, 
Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi at center. I think uh, there is a lot of valid excitement over OG and what he can do at the center position. You talked about his rebounding and the way he's improved in that area. Uh, that maybe gives him an advantage there now. But the other thing that stood out as well was the pick and pop game with Kyle Lowry uh, on those pick and rolls. And so I think that's something that the Raptors can really uh, thrive on that five out style that Nick nurse loves and yeah, his screen setting, uh, you know, I think it's the type of thing that he'll really enjoy uh, being involved in. He seemed to thrive in it and I, I don't see why he wouldn't want more of it going forward. Yeah, I uh, I too am very excited for that lineup to get some run. Uh, it was a lineup that really didn't get much run in the regular season, if any, if I recall. And it really kind of made its debut in the playoffs. I think people wanted to see more Pascal at the 5 to close games, or I guess OG at the 5 technically, if we're kind of doing the positioning uh, you know, conversation. But... You know, I think that was something people clamored for a little bit in the regular season, and it was not something that Nick Nurse went to often. And, you know, frankly, you can understand it. When you have Marc Gasol out there or Serge Ibaka, you're totally fine closing with those guys. And, you know, it was also difficult, I think, to get Norm Powell those closing minutes just because they had so many good players on the roster that, you know, getting everybody in to assemble that five-man crew was kind of difficult. But we get to the postseason, and overall... Second most used lineup for the Raptors in the playoffs. They played in the five games, I believe, all in that Boston series. The offense, as you might expect, having watched the Boston series, wasn't awesome. Just 88.9 points per 100 possessions. Uh, Very, very bad, of course. But the defense was incredible, and they gave up 83.3 points per 100, a net rating of plus 5.6, and uh, was right on par with the starters with Ibaka in the playoffs in that series or in the playoffs overall in terms of, you know, how often it was used and, you know, it wasn't quite as good as that Ibaka lineup was, but still it was among the more trusted and reliable lineups for the Raptors in that Celtic series. Of course, it was instrumental in the double overtime win in game six against Boston. And I mean, the reasons it works are pretty obvious. It's like kind of peak ball handling you can get for the Raptors between Siakam, Fred and Kyle and Norm. Um, It's, you know, the the defense is incredibly switchable. The perimeter defense is outstanding. The rebounding is obviously a bit of an issue, but it got by just fine in the series against Boston. Actually, not necessarily fine. It had a 45.7 rebounding rate, so not very good. Um, but you would expect that, and the fact that they were forcing every shot to miss, basically, kind of gives you a little bit of room to wiggle with with the rebounding rate. So, I you know, the reasons why it works are very obvious. I, I think the reasons why... It might not work all the time are obvious as well. It's very, very small against bigger lineups. It's just you're not going to be able to out-small ball a team that can do a similar thing with bigger players on the floor. Um, But, you know, I guess my question to you, Vivek, is is this to you the optimal closing lineup for the Raptors? I guess everything is matchup-based, obviously, and some games will require that Aaron Baines is out there or whatever it is. But, you know, more often than not, if you had your druthers, would this be the closing five for the Raptors when games are on the line? I think it's likely that, that that ends up being the case just because what we saw, what we've seen from Nick so far is that he will lean towards having just the straight up best five guys out on the court. And so more often than not, you expect four of them to be Kyle, Fred, Pascal, and OG. Mm-hmm. And that fifth 
might play out between Norman Powell and Aaron Baines and basically who's not just having the better night, but who, who, as you said, is the better matchup in those situations. If there's, uh, you know, a, a real size situation that you have to contend with, then you probably go with Baines. But if you can afford to have that quickness and, uh, the luxury of having five skilled guys out there, then probably lean towards Norm. So I think it's going to be a toss up between those two fives, uh, th- those two five man lineups in terms of who gets more minutes. But I think this will be up there for sure. And the one thing I want to highlight about OG, my impression, at least my feel, is his strengths really lie either in playing the three or playing the five. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think his weaknesses at the four stem from the fact that that is almost the perfect position that takes away most of his strengths. But at the three, he can use his strength. Uh, At at the five, he's strong enough to sort of hang, but he's also quick enough to take advantage. And Mm -hmm. we've seen when he's got a big switch on him on the perimeter. He's able to now beat them off the bounce and go to that spin move or, and kick it out sometimes. And so I think that's something that really helps. And then even on the rebounds, you know, he's able to have that second, third jump where he's able to just tip it, tip it and mm-hmm. keep the possession alive for the Raptors. So it, I, I think at this point, I feel pretty convinced that he's someone that in a lineup either needs to be at the three or the five. I would I would almost never have him at the four unless there was a you know a drastic situation that dictated it. Yeah, I, we saw that and we talked about that quite a bit last year, right? And like the times where OG didn't look so hot during the season, it was a lot of you know I think during that time when Pascal was out and he was kind of forced just to slide in there at the four. And yeah, like he's not like he can hang just fine i guess but like i think the four has kind of become a position where you want a little bit more in terms of creativity from a player right it's not just to stand in the corner and shoot a three because that's what centers do now and that's kind of og's bag right now yes there's some secondary off the bounce stuff for him as you mentioned when he's got a switch or whatever he's attacking a closeout but for the most part yeah he's kind of he is his shot profile is that of a stretch five more than anything else or a three and D wing and the four, you know, the way the Raptors play and the way, you know, they kind of have Siaka run the offense at times and run it through him. It just doesn't line up when OG slides down there, you know, in a different style, a different team, you know, construct, maybe the four would, would suit him a little bit better, but uh, with the way the Raptors tend to orient themselves, I think it, it just is kind of a, a bit of an awkward fit. My question to you, you know, I think the the three questions for this lineup are not difficult. Will it be a top five lineup used by a nurse? I think that's uh, pretty accurate. Will it play in crunch time? I think, yeah, for sure. Um, but when it comes to will it be good, I think that is a bit of an interesting question. I think it'll probably be quite good. I think it will outscore the other team. But we talked about at the top of the segment how the offense was trash in that series against Boston. <laughs> 88.9 points per 100. Is that, do you think, a byproduct of just the Celtics being very good at half-court defense, Pascal having you know, his obvious bubble struggles, and that being an insanely tense series where defense was um, like executed at a level that we've rarely ever seen, I think, in the history of the NBA, probably? <laughs> or is it something to be concerned about over a larger sample that maybe that offense, that lineup doesn't have the offensive juice to hang? I think that 
lineup has more offensive ability than the numbers indicated in that series. To the points you highlighted, the, the Celtics defended really, really well. But I think Pascal struggles. The fact that they hadn't much, had much experience playing together. Uh, and then, you know, Fred's struggles in that series as well, I thought were a big factor. And so how those things get negated, uh, primar- primarily, I think with Fred, we've talked about how he needs to add that mid-range uh to his game. And then I think the other factor would be fatigue as well. The Raptors went to that lineup late in the series. And so I think that's something that played into it where they were just being asked a hell of a lot. And I think Kyle, you know, we saw how game seven impacted him and well, the first six games impacted his game seven. But, you know, I, I, I definitely think that lineup is capable of a lot more than 88 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that 10 of the 37 minutes this lineup played, I believe, all came in that double overtime game, in the double overtimes, when uh, I get chest pains thinking about what the offense for both teams looked like during that <laughs> overtime. It was like it, the defenses were just so swarming and good that there was nothing to be gotten, and especially it could, because guys were exhausted, probably from playing defense like Maniacs for the entire series. So, yeah, I, I, I am with you. I think the offense will be much better, and honestly, there's no reason why it shouldn't be a lot better. It's a lineup with four guys who can handle the ball reasonably well. It's a lineup with five guys who can shoot. It's a lineup with five guys who can defend quite well. I mean, Norm's the worst defender in the lineup, and yes, he's maybe a bit outgunned at the three, but with that weird crouchy down stance he has, he can stay in front of guys at least. And I I think there's no reason why this shouldn't be a very, very good lineup. In fact, I would say this is probably going to be their best lineup. I think we'll probably see at the end of the season they're going to have you know, like a north of a 10 net rating, uh, similar to what the starters had last year where they just kicked the shit out of teams. I think we could see the Raptors, like, crunch time offense and crunch time numbers be outstanding because this lineup comes in, locks people down, and then gets it on the run. And, you know, maybe they're not worried about scoring so much against a half-court uh, defense because, you know, they're turning people over, they're forcing misses, and they're doing, you know, swarmy, switchy, insane, maniac defensive things that lead to them really getting out into their transition game in a way that Boston really limited, but in a regular season game against teams that aren't prepared for that very specific strength of the Raptors, as we saw literally all last season, they're probably going to carve teams up in that small lineup on the run. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be an excellent lineup. I think their their offensive rating will be, you know, probably around one between 108 and 112 and I think their defensive rating will be sub 100 and I think they're going to kick the shit out of people so uh that is uh I think a pretty good place or sorry do you agree with me there before we uh, move on yeah I'm with you I mean maybe I'm not that high on the offensive rating but right uh I I do agree that they're gonna have a strong net rating and uh beat up on a lot of teams it would be nice to see Love beating up on teams. It's the best. It's, uh, it gives you that catharsis in the middle of January that you just so badly need. Uh, so we are going to address the final two lineups in the final segment of the show. Uh, but before we do that, just a reminder that you can check out Locked on NBA every single day. And we start our, two, our very, very long, I think, six-part 
uh, NBA season preview in just a couple weeks where we'll be diving in with each of the local hosts, myself included, into division previews, uh, six or seven minutes from each host on every team in the league with input from Nate Duncan and Josh Lloyd over in the Fantasy Show. So please go and listen, subscribe to Locked On NBA. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax, make your moves, they'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, Vivek, let's get to your final two lineups in just one second. But first, I want to let people know that on tomorrow's show, it's going to be a very fun episode with uh, everyone's old favorite, Corbin Smith, a wonderful writer and, uh, you know, a wonderful weirdo, frankly. He's going to come on the show. He's, of course, famous for his 11-minute long soliloquy about how much Hassan Whiteside sucks on an episode of the podcast last year. He's going to come on along with John Wilmis, who's an excellent writer, author, internet pal, and they are going to join me to do some Raptors jersey number semiotics and uh, dive into the meaning behind each of the new members of the Raptors numbers and potentially pick a number for Aaron Baines because he does not yet have a number assigned. So that is what you can look forward to on Thursday's podcast. And I'm hoping Friday, Sandy from Dishes and Dimes is going to pop on the show. So keep an eye out for that. All right, Big V, two lineups left to get into here. Let's dive on in. The first one that you have for us is take it away. I'm actually going to stick with uh, OG at center. So we'll keep him at center. And then we've got Fred Van Vliet, Matt Thomas in the backcourt. And they're accompanied by Norman Powell and Chris Boucher. Okay. I think this is a bit of a funky lineup. But again, it allows you to play that five-out style. Um, maybe a little thin on the playmaking front. But I feel like it's more of a havoc lineup and uh, between... Uh, Matt Thomas sort of running running off those curls and Norman Powell being able to cut to the basket and Chris Boucher just trying to be a highlight reel. Uh, I think there's enough there to at least pique my curiosity on what this lineup could look like. What about you? Yeah, I, I think just the construction of it, like Fred and OG paired together, that makes sense if you're trying to sort of stagger the best players on the team and keep two of Fred, OG, uh, Lowry and Siakam on the floor at once. Like, that seems like an okay way to do it. I'd probably go Fred Siakam, Lowry OG if I'm mm-hmm. looking for tandems you want to keep together. But Fred OG works. Um, and then Thomas, Norm Boucher. Yeah, like, I-, I think those three will factor in, as we talked about yesterday, into a lot of the bench lineups with a different guard and a different center in between them. I don't think we'll often see Boucher at center, considering Len and Baines and Boucher's size and the fact that OG probably has like 50 pounds on him. <laughs> um, so like I, I, I love the idea of keeping OG at center as well. I guess my concern with this one is you mentioned the lack of playmaking. I mean, this kind of 
really leans on Fred having the ball a lot. You know, Thomas doesn't do much unless he's taking one step in from the three-point line and hitting a, a bank shot. And, you know, by the way, hitting that 150% of the time. But still, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't do a ton. I will admit um, that yeah. just inserting Kyle instead of Fred, I feel like changes the outlook of this lineup pretty dramatically. Oh, probably, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's Lowry and four dudes. Of course it would be good. Uh <laughs> It's not exactly a bold claim to make, but uh, it's it's a good point that stands for sure. Um, and, you know, it, it does rely a lot on Fred and Norm, I guess, is a secondary creator. And I guess it uh, very much depends on, like, how good is Chris Boucher at team defense? And, like, we know he's, you know, he'll come from out of position and swat a shot. We know he's long and lanky. He can contest in the corners and stuff like that. But if you have Boucher and Thomas out there, I do think that is kind of one of your weaker defensive orientations so i feel like you're definitely playing zone with this lineup and yeah you're probably right and so that's where i feel like the length of boucher and og and norm too uh i think can make it feasible Mm -hmm. and so yeah this is definitely a lineup where where you're going zone and it's definitely you know those short plug and play options where it's probably not getting too much run but you're looking for just that little breather for Kyle or Pascal or whoever and yeah it's definitely going to be dicey to see how it how it rolls but uh yeah I'm I'm still curious yeah it's a real end of the third quarter when you're up by 12 ass lineup like can you get us (laughs) to the end can can you can you save it um yeah so let me ask you the three questions will it be a top five lineup used by nurse will it be good and will it play in crunch time I think we know the answer to the last one well, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be that good. Um, I'll be pleasantly surprised if it is. But hey, I'm here for funky OG at the five uh, minutes. I'm I'm here to see uh, what Boucher and uh, Thomas can do together in a lineup after we saw them just completely eviscerate the Bucks uh, in the bubble. So all that stuff, I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. I, hey, look, any lineup that features OG at the five is going to appease me this year because, <laughs> as I said last week or the week before, I think OG is the best center on the team. So uh, <laughs> I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, I do get a little trepidatious about Fred-led uh, bench lineups just because, you know, you can kind of get into the dribble for 14 seconds pattern at mm-hmm. times. But um, hopefully Matt Thomas flying around like a maniac would uh, inspire Fred to give it up a little sooner. Uh, yeah, I, I think the answer to all three questions is probably no, but not every lineup needs to be great. Some lineups just got to survive. I mean, they had lineups last year that I think had like McCaw, Rondé, Boucher, uh, like Norm and someone else. And they, they had an offensive rating of like 70, but they also uh, defended really well and, you know, survived those little stretches. So um, you know, you need to find those little groups here and there. Uh, I do, however, really like your third option here, Vivek. Um, the 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 third lineup you've set up for us to talk about today. Please tell everybody what it is. Yeah. So, you know, transitioning off that lack of playmaking, I was like, okay, let's take the ball out of Fred's hands. Let's put it in Malachi Flynn's hands. Let's give him a screen setter like. Aaron Baines, let's have OG play the three and then Boucher at the four. And I feel like that's a lineup that can do
do some damage. I mean, even even with Len at the five, it's more of a bench unit then. But I feel like that's a lineup that could be interesting. You're maximizing Malachi Flynn's uh, playmaking in the pick and roll action, and Fred Van Vliet gets to play off the ball, which is his best suited role so far in the NBA, at least uh, that we've seen. And it gives us a little bit of OG at the three, not the five. Yeah, I uh, I like this lineup a lot. It's big, which you love to see. Um, you know, it's rare on the Raptors that you're going to have really big lineups. I suppose this year, although their starting five is enormous between OG, Siakam, and Baines. Um, throwing Boucher in there is cool. I, I think it works as like uh, you know first quarter, first sub type of lineup. You know, maybe not right away because Norm is going to be the first guy off the bench. But um, you know, as the season goes on, maybe Flynn gets a little bit more responsibility. I could see this kind of really working as a good transitional lineup and not just one that sort of helps you survive a few minutes here and there, but like, Hey, let's just roll them out there for, you know, six minutes and see what they can do over the course of the first half of the second quarter or the last half of the first. And I am a big fan. I think you could even, you know, maybe you look at Boucher and say he kind of hurts the spacing a little bit, but you could even just have Boucher kind of play the nominal center here and be a dive man. Obviously, that takes away Baines' screening, but you could have Baines post up in the corner and just wait for him to uh, to fire some catch and shoot threes for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to have Baines screen as well, I mean, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, Baines screening for Flynn is a pretty good way to get Flynn going downhill and working that pick and roll game that he's so vaunted for. And you got OG cutting around that. Yeah, I I dig it, man. I think this would be a really fun lineup. It would be funky. I think that this is the recurring theme with a lot of these lineups and with just the players they have on hand. It's gonna be a lot of funky shit that just pulled out this year. Um, and nurse as the head coach. Me, yeah, exactly. Uh, but this one to me, the funk makes a lot of sense. It's like uh, it's a funk with like a good steady beat underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, top five lineup used by nurse. Do you think? So I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm gonna swing for the fences and say yeah. I was too. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's. Uh, if, if there was a non-Lowry lineup that I would uh, I would take my chances with on making a, a top five lineup, uh, I'll go with this one. Yeah, I mean, there's always a weird lineup that gets in there just because injuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we're probably predicting the top five lineups would be a very silly, difficult uh, endeavor to try to get into, but... It makes sense as a lineup that would get some run. It's got three starters in there. They like to pair Lowry and Siakam, it seems. Um, maybe less so this year just because of the the lack of Gasol's playmaking, and maybe you want to keep those two apart. But, um, you know, it staggers your starters really well. It gets Flynn in there with Fred, which I think has the potential to be a really fun backcourt where they can kind of trade off ball handling duties a little bit and get Fred off the ball a little bit more. Um, and, yeah, you got OG out there playing insane wing defense. I dig it quite a bit. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, in terms of whether it'll be good and whether it'll play in crunch time, what do you think there? No, you're not playing crunch time minutes without <laughs> Kyle and Pascal on the court. So this is definitely not going to be a crunch time unit. And uh, But I do think it'll be good. I do think it'll be good. Yeah, I think it'll be, you know, not a, an enormous, like, positive, but, you know, a three or four net rating. I mm-hmm. think that's totally doable. And, yeah, cr- if, if this lineup is playing in crunch time, something horribly uh, wrong has taken place, and uh, I hope we don't get to that point. Uh, that is going to bring us to the end of today's podcast, Big V. Do you have anything that you would like to plug? 
Uh, you can check out my usual stuff at Complex. And, you know, I, I think the stuff that I'm going to be doing for CBC is really cool. Uh, it's going to be more long form stuff featuring some of the athletes that we maybe don't know as much about heading into the Olympics. So I'm excited to do that. And besides that, it's uh, it's a Wednesday and Manchester United are playing. So whenever you get a chance, uh, Red Couch Banks is your podcast for Manchester United reactions and analysis. And you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So, yeah, join us. Hell yeah. Uh, get on, in, get in on that. Get on in. I don't know. My, my brain's not working anymore. Go listen to Red Couch Manx if you want to hear about a sad soccer team that stinks um, <laughs> with some wonderful hosts who don't stink. Uh, <laughs> I will always make fun of Man U whatever I can until they prove me uh, wrong and win five titles again, which they might very well do because they're Man U. Um, anyway, that is, uh, by the way, congrats on the CBC stuff, man. I'm so happy for you. It's going to rule to read your stuff there all year long. I can't wait to uh, check it out. Um, with that, we could come to the end of today's show. Yesterday, I forgot to hand out our local businesses of the day, unfortunately. So I'm going to get on that today and do two local businesses of the day for you to check hey. out. Yeah, a pair of restaurants sent in by a couple of listeners. Uh, I can't. I believe the first one was sent in by Socialist Raptor, if I'm not mistaken. Shows a Socialist Raptor, one of the best on Raptor's internet. Uh, and another one was sent in by our pal Dan Grant. The first sent in by, I believe, Socialist Raptor, once again, my mistake if I'm wrong, is the Pow Wow Cafe. It is an indigenous, indigenous-owned cafe and restaurant on uh, 213 Augusta Avenue in Kensington Market. Uh, highly recommend you check it out. They are open uh, Thursday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Thursday through Saturday, and then 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Sundays. Go and uh, order some food. They're on all the apps. Go pick it up. Uh, take out delivery, all that stuff from Pow Wow Cafe at 213 Augusta Avenue. And then also a shout-out from Dan Grant to Baguette & Co., I love a sandwich. Uh, I really, really love a sandwich. And Baguette & Co. apparently makes a mean sandwich. They're at baguetteco.ca. They are open Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, closed on weekends. Uh, I don't know why Google has ordered it these days in this order, but that's fine. 11 to 4 every day, Monday through Friday. So go check out Baguette & Co. If you're in the junction, it's 2772 Dundas Street West in the junction. I believe uh, right around the corner from uh, our, where our pal Lewis Zatzman works. So shouts to Lewis also. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but that's uh, those are the two shout-outs for today. Pow Wow Cafe and Baguette & Co. Support your local businesses because Amazon sucks and Jeff Bezos doesn't need any more money and uh, the government is not doing a very good job to help small restaurants and businesses thrive. So uh, support these fine people who are not the small businesses peddling conspiracy theories and all of that stuff. Uh, with that... Coming to the, we come to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to rate and review wherever you get your podcast. Stick around for Thursday's episode with Corbin Smith and John Wilmus as we dive into the meaning behind of the Raptors numbers and uh, get some number twenty three ass energy going on the podcast. And then Friday again, hopefully we get Sandy from Dishes and Dimes on to chat about something. Not sure what just yet, but Sandy's wonderful. So uh, hopefully we can line that up. Anyway. That'll do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.